2: Uh, you are now tuned into anything possible. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmed after shots went through. So tell me why you mad? Even your team gon' be
3: sad leaving after matching up with Bradley. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune
2: in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date.
0: You heard? <laughs> <Azee>. <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, there. She. Welcome to...
2: Everything Everything
1: portable,
2: the Boston Celtics Podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand Learn more at directtv.com. I am your host, Sam Jan Packard. I call myself a professional sports fan. I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Jay King, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic. And we are joined by a very special guest uh, from Sports Illustrated, the host of the Open Floor podcast. Also just wrote an excellent profile of Kevin Garnett for GQ. Also, And he used to have
0: hair follicles.
2: He's a, he's a well-known J. King skeptic, exactly for comments like that. Uh, it's why I, uh, probably the biggest reason why I appreciate uh, Michael Pina. He doesn't put up with this nonsense J. King's putting out there. Michael, thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. J. King skeptic is just a wonderful thing to have on the resume, <laughs> I got to say. I'm not on the right side of history, so I can sleep well at night. I, I disagree there. Let, let's, get,
0: <laughs> let's get into your Kevin Garnett profile. Because I I think your tweet, like, I, I went to Kevin Garnett's house. Here is my story on a crazy 48 hours. Might have been the greatest sell for a story of all time. I was like, eh? <laughs> Doesn't matter what he wrote. Like, I'm all the way in on this story. For My first question, did you poo yourself a little bit
3: when he snapped at you for having shoes on inside his house? It was... My initial lead was way more dramatic than that because it was describing how I actually felt in the moment, <laughs> which was terrified, frankly. Like, I had no idea what was going um, <laughs> to happen. The air in the room. I'll, I'll Let me let me let me back up for two seconds. So we're in his house um, in Minnesota. He he's owned the house since um, he bought it right before. And renovated it right before um he was traded to boston which he was he mentioned multiple times and was not um happy about that um so it was like clearly like he doesn't live in minnesota i don't think that that was like mentioned in the story he lives in southern california and he has multiple properties but he, we were there he was um doing some stuff for the documentary did we go to all the properties? I did not go. I was only invited to one of the properties. You're a failure as a journalist. Honestly. <laughs> well, it was actually, so it was during the pandemic, like um, height of the pandemic. It was like 13 months ago, I want to say. And like flying to Minnesota was I'm a thing. I'm trying whole to do thing. the math on when that was. So that was... It, was. it was not a good time in our nation's history. October
0: of 2000... October 2020.
3: Okay. Yeah. That was yeah. definitely during it's Bad times. Yes, so um, we were there and I was kind of uh, with a camera crew for most of the first day. And they were filming him as he was just going through memorabilia. And I think a lot of this hopefully will be in the doc. I don't know what they cut out or anything. Are they going to be in the doc? So I was in the rough cut of the doc. Don't know if I'm in the final cut. Find out tomorrow night. Very excited. Can't wait to watch it. Um, But anyway, so... The When I first saw him, he came up to me and he was like, hey, you look familiar. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I've never met you before. Um, I told him that I covered the Celtics, like a few Celtics games um, in like 2012, 2013 era. So he was still on the team and um, he was uh, skeptical about that. Uh, so, like, we got on, a, on a, a very interesting note. He's very intimidating. So he didn't
0: believe you that you covered the Celtics.
3: <laughs> he was like, "You look familiar," and I was like, "Maybe this is why." And he's like, "That's clearly not it." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> cool. Well, then I don't know. I don't know where we go from here." But um, so, you know, following around his house, he's going through memorabilia. Uh, it's we're about two hours into it. Go upstairs to his office. Um, he's pointing out I'm, i describe it in the piece he's got this gigantic larry o'brien painting um this like beautiful artwork and he's just like going he's like in a trance talking about it staring at it it's incredible and then it was just like literally the air in the room shifted i can't even describe it he looks at my feet i'm like oh my god and I'm. It, it, <laughs> he's, like, he's like do you see that the floors are white And I'm like, yes, I do. I'm going to immediately back out of this room. (laughs) Um, But he was he was so uh, I mean, he's just like he's one of the funniest people I've ever spoken to. No exaggeration. Um, One of the most intense people. Everything about him is what you would expect from reading stories about him seeing him he's not like you know spitting as he talks like he would when he was on a basketball court or anything like that but he's very energetic very on 10 um and then he can also in at the the drop of a dime just like be super reserved super quiet his voice will drop he'll be really reflective so just a fascinating guy but i think everybody who's followed the league for years already knows all that how did you bring up the honey nut cheerios thing
0: because, <laughs> because like d- did you did you just flat out ask him like did you say that shit about Lala, not. kevin absolutely I know you not, did, kevin.
3: no i absolutely did not do that um what happened was uh i basically said like you've said some reportedly said some things <laughs> on the court um that are controversial you're five years removed from your career now. Is there anything that you said that, you know, you wish you could take back or anything that you'd like to clear up about what you said to different players over the years? And then he was like, Absolutely not, except. And then he went in to talk about the honey nut cheerio situation, which I immediately was like, this is obviously going to get picked up and aggregated. So that's great. I hope you don't say it to any other outlet <laughs> for the next year. <laughs> so, and he didn't, which was wonderful. Um, but no, I did not go in there with uh, Ask Kevin about Frosted Flakes and Honey Nut Cheers. That was not um, on the agenda. Did you, did you go in there, like, there? I'm with a Frosted Flakes guy. <laughs> <laughs> that story isn't,
0: isn't believable. Every part of it is believable, except. Like, I'm not a Honey Nut Cheerios guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, I love that that's the detail. He's like, see, that proves my innocence.
2: <laughs> Did you go in there with any plan, or was it just like, I'm going to go in there and just react to whatever this guy gives me? Because it feels like he can just drop just gold on you, and you just have never know when it's coming. Like, do you know the feeling when it's uh, like a, you're just uh, in the dark feeling around? <laughs> do you know the feeling of sprinting through that and hitting everything? Like, Is he just dropping gems on you like that constantly? How do you prepare for something like this?
3: So I had, you're right. It was like a really tough, um, like preparing for it was tough because it's it's Kevin Garnett. Like he's a 15 time all-star. He's 45 years old. He's got 20 years in the league. You can go in a million different directions with what you want to talk about. And I had like, I don't know, 80 questions written out. Um, in my notebook as I sat across from him on his at his uh, kitchen table and I just kind of went through the stuff that I've always been most fascinated um, about when I think about KG so like that thing about you know him talking about um, running through the dark whatever he said like running through uh, the darkness and whatever you hit you hit (laughs) Like that question was just like, hey, man, like, how, how do you separate the fact that you're I think this was the, the question I asked was like, how do you separate you being this like quiet, um, like off the court, you're very quiet, you're private, you don't want anyone to know anything about your personal life. But then on the court, you were like a, a live wire, you were super raw, super emotive. Um, how do you kind of drive those two different personalities in your head? And he was just like that. I was not expecting that deep of a question. Um, and then he's like sat back for a second and he gave me that answer. And I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be a fun interview.
0: He might have the best analogies of all time that they don't really make sense, but they also make <laughs> they perfect they, they sense at the same time.
3: <laughs> no, when I was researching it, it was like, and I'm sure you guys remember this, but like, he had so many baked cake analogies um throughout the years particularly when he was on the celtics and i wanted to ask him like what those mean and what he was going What's for with any with of them but i was like cakes? <laughs> I, I had a feeling that he would just say like like it, you try to anticipate like what what, what questions are going to get like one word answers or head nods out of this guy and i had a feeling that the anything about baked cakes and me like uh reciting questions and analogies that he said in the past he was not going to be really trying to uh revisit so I avoided those I was kind of sad when he brought up the Steve Nash sons thing
0: because Steve Nash playing with Kevin Garnett would have just been
3: ridiculous
0: and obviously the Celtics in those years were incredible too but I think Steve Nash and Kevin Garnett as a pick and roll duo and Kevin Garnett there to just erase all of Steve Nash's defensive mistakes would have been so much fucking fun that i'm a little sad it didn't happen
3: yeah so we got into that conversation so i met him so there was basically two parts for the interview it was like went to his house in october um hung out for a day next day we went to george floyd square and then i flew home and then it was probably like i want to say four or five six months later where we hopped on a video call for like 45 minutes and i got to ask him a bunch of follow-up questions from the initial interview and i wanted to go back because we talked a little bit about kobe and the celtics and regret um in the first interview and i wanted to dive back into that and then he brought up um or maybe i brought up i was like weren't there three teams wasn't phoenix one of the teams can you just take me back to that time in your life and then yeah he went off and i basically just quoted him verbatim on what the situation was there with Nash and Sarver and he still like is you know he's not like salty about it but he's just like yeah that would have been fun like and they didn't want to pay me which is just like absolutely well everything we know about Robert Sarver in the news right now that all checks out so so yeah Sarver yeah Seems I mean like he also
2: could have ended up with the Lakers. It seems like if Kobe wasn't in China being a a businessman, I was like, I don't know if I've heard that, uh, story before, but it was, man, that would have uh, wildly changed Celtics history.
3: Yeah. You know what, what was really helpful, um, in preparing and doing the interviews for, uh, the story was Kevin had this memoir come out. I don't know if you guys have read it. Um, it's really, it's like Kevin Garnett, A to Z or something like that. And it's, it's really entertaining. It's, it's, it's wild. It's a wild book. I, I recommend it to anyone who likes KG. But I got an advanced copy of it and was able to highlight the most, just, just the wildest stuff, I would say, that was in there. And the things that really made my eyebrows go up and his talk, him talking about um, Kobe and just like, missing a phone call i was like you wrote about this a little bit in the book but like can you please elaborate because this is absolutely wild that if kobe bryant just answered your phone like a phone call he said he called him like 16 17 times it's like answer one of the phone calls like the whole nba history is is that's like that
0: scene from swingers (laughs) (laughs) leaving voicemails voicemails. Kobe, I uh just wanted to talk to you. I know I called you three seconds ago, but uh just trying to get back in touch. Call me back.
3: Yeah, Are you talking
0: so bacon cakes. <laughs> so
3: so that 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 was all really I mean, that's fascinating stuff for anybody who's like an NBA historian or who was alive at the time when he was going back and forth between the Lakers and the Celtics and which one he was gonna go to and I mean, the rest is history, and those two teams battled in in two finals in three years, and it was awesome. Um, but you think about like who? Go back to that time in the NBA, and I don't know. That would just have been like KG and Kobe together, just like absolutely unstoppable. That, that no one's beaten that team.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go against that a little bit. I think- ooh, okay. Oh, Jake King's being oppositional. Basketball-wise, that's, like, obviously ridiculous fit. And at that point, they were just absurdly talented guys. Um, I think personality-wise, they were too alpha. They were both too alpha. They would have absolutely butted heads in some way. And I I feel like Powell was better at that time personality-wise for Kobe. And Paul Pierce and Ray Allen were better
3: personality-wise for Kevin Garnett. Than Kobe would have said so. What I'll say to that is KG actually thought of that and he kind of addressed it. And he was like, early in our careers, it wouldn't have worked. At that point, Kobe was so desperate to win a title without Shaq. KG was so desperate to like do anything in the postseason that sacrifice at that stage in their careers was definitely something that was blown both of their minds. So they're arguably the two most intense maniacal players in NBA history. So I can see it not working. Sure. But I can also see it just being wildly successful where these two are just like, uh, it's like iron sharpening iron.
0: Yeah. And I feel like to some extent, the Celtics in those years kind of were that like, it, it wasn't Kobe obviously, but they just had a bunch of competitive maniacs. It was like, Tony Allen, Rajon Rondo, Kendrick Perkins, Kevin Garnett—like just guys who are as tough as it gets. Paul Pierce. So, I I do feel like to some extent, iron sharpens iron. And if you talk to any of those guys from those teams, they talk about just how ridiculously competitive every single thing was. Um, so maybe maybe that's that's how it would have worked out. They would have been perfect for each other. But I just feel like KG didn't need Kobe the ball, and KG. Though. Yeah, but he's just a maniac. Like, like he tried. I, they're both control control freaks in different ways. I feel like. And so this is
3: what this is what I think. So it's hard to go back and think about who would be on the roster for the Lakers if he goes. Slava like Medvedenko would have been elite. Have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if he would have made the cut. But like, is is Bynum? Does he, does he go to Minnesota then? Is that like – or would Bynum still be in L.A.? I'm trying to like think about how the trade would have been configured to get KG. Would it have been
0: Lamar, Kobe, KG? Because that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous question. Kevin
2: record. McHale ever traded KG to the Lakers though? Wasn't there like a big thing where he's just like refused to negotiate with them on anything?
3: I don't remember um, that. You know, there, things are said. I don't, you know, I think like even today, right now, (laughs) there's like anti-Celtics people who say that Danny Ainge's relationship with Kevin McHale is the only reason that that trade happened, and I don't think that that is necessarily true. But I'm sure it it helped helped. get a deal done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: Man, the Celtics would have sucked if they just had Ray Allen and Paul Pierce for that uh, kind of run there. Oh, it, it would
0: have been Garnett for Bynum and Lamar Odom.
3: According to uh, an old story, they still would have dominated. I mean, who's so the best team in the East? Then would have been like the Cavs, right? Like LeBron, LeBron with like
2: or the Magic with Mo
3: Williams. Mo Williams, yeah. Don't hate on, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anton Jamison was sick too. Doug, stop right now. It's absolutely (laughs) not true. (laughs) The So yeah, no, I I, yeah, but I I think like you're just proving Jamario I mean. Moon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're just,
2: just looking he, at a roster right now. <laughs> I'm not. I
3: renewable.
1: <laughs> oh, the last
2: thing about the KG story is the uh, the what? Did he bring up the uh, time he uh, hung out with Biggie in the Cleveland uh, All Star game in '97? Or like, dude, was that in his book? Where did that gem? It, that was from? one of
0: 80 peanut questions. That did you ever hang out with Biggie? <laughs> he <laughs> so asked all he had... his subjects. <laughs> And how many women did he have hiding under his jacket?
3: (laughs) So the Biggie story is in the book very briefly. So I was like, tell me the Biggie story. Because in the book, I think it's just like, saw Biggie. Biggie invited me up to his his hotel suite at my first All-Star weekend and to smoke weed. And I said no, and I regret it. And I was like, okay, so you write this. Can you just please tell me the story? And one of the funniest things um about interviewing kg is when he tells stories it's like it's just there's really nothing like it like this is unrelated but i was once at a press junket for uncut gems and i was in a room in new york with kg and adam sandler and like probably 10 journalists and kg had the room in stitches telling stories about um just like random stories about being on the set filming the movie and like Adam Simmler, obviously one of the funniest people of all time, is just like peeing his pants, laughing like he cannot hold it together. It was like KG was easily the funniest guy in the room. So um, when he was telling me that story, when he was telling me the Kobe story, um, it's like half a dozen when he stories started like that. Where about I'm just
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger ejaculating.
3: I yeah, he <laughs> just like can't keep it together. Thank God I had a mask on in his house for that interview because I was just like I I can't. I can't do this. I'm not that professional. So I love his use of invisible
2: props. Like it feels like anytime he talks about something, he'll like, what was he like putting on a silk jacket or something? And like he feels like a very uh, uh, vivid speaker and he's a very willing to just grab anything out of the air and be like this is and use that whatever metaphor that is, whatever crazy metaphor that comes into his brain.
3: Yeah, it was tough to, like, get that on the page, honestly, because it's like, all right, do we just put in brackets here, breathes fire? Because that's what he did while he was speaking. That Uh, was... Spits spits fake Gatorade? Like, what what do we do here? (laughs) Could you reenact it, what he did right now? I'm not going to do that, because... Uh, Packard told me that we're live on YouTube. And so <laughs> I'm not, not going to embarrass myself in you, front of all you of have your, to, millions of you listeners. You have but... to breathe fire like KG <laughs> breathe fire. <laughs> but, uh, but stuff like that was just, it's just, yeah, he's just a one-of-one human being in so many different ways.
2: If you guys haven't read it, go check out uh, Pina's profile of KG on GQ.com. Uh, it's a great read. Uh, We haven't covered nearly all the stories in that, and I would highly recommend it.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to Michelob slash courtside to learn more. Now, this is a
2: Boston Celtics podcast talking about the Boston Celtics in the here and now and the Boston Celtics might not suck, which is a good thing. Um, ever like it turns out having a emotional, not very beneficial, not productive team meeting is all they needed to fix the defense because in the four games since that uh, team meeting, what have they hold, held teams to under 80 or under 93 times? And then they had whatever the Mavericks game was. Uh, I guess. Yes, they uh, they lost that uh, 107 <laughs> to 104 because Luca uh, hit a game winning three, which I did predict exactly uh, when we picked every single game this season, I predict Luca would hit a, a walk off three there. So I just want to put that out there, but Jay, you wrote an article about this for uh, The Athletic. What has changed with the Celtics defense and, like, why are they all of a sudden just so much better than they were in, like, the first eight games of the season?
0: Well, I think there are a lot of reasons. Uh, They're just clearly more cohesive defensively. It's... And I think, obviously, Udoka was having them switch, like, basically everything at the beginning of the season. And part of that was just he wanted to get them used to it. He's dialed that back a little bit. But I also think they're still switching a lot. And there's just so much that goes into being a good switching defense that that probably doesn't get understood very well. Like, you have to be on the same page with everything. You have to pre-switch sometimes so you have the right matchup. You have to scram switch on the back end so that you don't have, you know, someone mutilating a small guard in the post. You have to, like – know when someone's cutting do I stay with him do I send him to the next guy there are so many different things that go into it that I think Jalen Brown and Al Horford missing time in preseason and not and some of the guys like not being able to kind of work on all that stuff really set them back for a while and it took them a little while to to figure all that out um but their defense has been awesome over the last like five six games
2: it also feels like they're just switching less. Like they were really committed to switching one through five in the first six games of the season. They're just doing, like you're just not seeing uh, Robert Williams out on the perimeter as often as he was. And it feels like they, eMe has made the adjustment of maybe we don't have to do this every single possession. And I think that's been beneficial as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think like uh, to, to Jay's point about what goes into switching, like everything he said is is spot on. And then also like like I think he mentioned this a little bit, but it's like when you're on the weak side, you gotta know when to help. You gotta know when to shrink the floor against driving lane. It's not just like I switch, I'm on the ball now, my guy passes the ball and like I can kind of clap my hands together, put my hands together, plays over. That's not really what it is. So you saw a lot of breakdowns that way. I thought, and then to your point, Packard, switching one through five with Robert Williams on the floor, they were just getting pummeled on the boards when he was out on the perimeter. So I think dialing that back a little bit has been helpful. Um, and yeah, they're, what are they first in the entire league in defensive rating over the last four games, I believe with like the third best net rating behind the Clippers and the Warriors over that span. So, you know, some of that is the, the teams that they played uh, the magic certainly aren't good. Um, that helps, but they did beat Miami and, um, the Mavs are kind of so-so. The Raptors' offense is terrible, so these things have helped for sure. But I think at the end of the day, like this team should be trending towards being a top-five defense. They have the personnel to do it. Uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't. And when everybody gets healthy and on the same page, they'll be even better than we than we've seen so far.
2: Now the defense is improving, but the offense is still not great. And there was moments in that Raptors game where the Raptors play in crazy uh intense defense. I'm sure Brad Stevens was just losing his mind with how much the Raptors were getting into the ball because that's all Brad Stevens loves
0: in a defensive team. Scotty Barnes, the legend.
2: Scotty Barnes, like the Raptors can throw out like four five guys who are just all above 6'8 and are extremely he,
0: strong. He's like 6'8, 240 as a rookie chasing around Dennis Schroeder over screens. Like good luck dealing with him and seven years nba
2: and just like going through romeo langford uh on the baseline he was very impressive the raptors offense um not very impressive but they really turned things up on the defensive end and i think the celtics still struggled from a bit of turnovers dennis Schroeder just had i think six terrible turnovers um
0: he had eight turnovers
2: well, even maybe even six of them today. were terrible,
0: but the other two weren't great
2: either. It really felt like the Raptors are uh, were playing extremely physical defense. And uh, I thought Jason Tatum did a pretty good job of getting into the paint, finding Romeo in the corner, more so in the first half. Uh, but it still feels like, despite him having a good game against the Mavericks uh, and scoring a lot, that he's just not scoring at the same level um, as he uh, kind of were accustomed to. And at what point is it something to uh, to get worried about? I mean, we've seen Dame Dame had a ridiculous quote the other day that was like the the league officiating the game this way is like ruining basketball. That's a that's a paraphrase, but we've seen some uh, some of the stars kind of struggle with more physicality. Tatum did have a very good game against the Mavericks and kind of seemed like he was back to his old self. But at what point is there you start having actual, a big enough sample size to be concerned about Jason Tatum's lack of scoring. Because the Celtics, for as good as their defense is going to be, they're going to go as far as Jason Tatum basically takes them offensively uh, because they just don't have enough shooting on this team to kind of sustain long runs with him uh, being this inefficient.
3: Yeah, I mean, when I watch Tatum this season, I think a lot of stars are... Like a lot of stars are have been disappointing from the jump. There's probably like six or seven I could rattle off off the top of my head who are just super inefficient for whatever reason. The sh- their shots aren't falling. I think officiating has a large um, um, element. Officiating is a large element and and a reason for it. I'm not gonna like get too uh, too bogged down in the shooting numbers. I think the shot selection can certainly change with him. And that's just been a career long. um, Even coming out of college, the fear was, uh, you know, this guy's in love with the pull-up twos and he still is in love with pull-up twos and he's still in love with getting in his bag and he holds the ball a B too long still. But He's also 23 years old. And um, I think a lot of, I think Brian Brian Scalabrini made this point on Zach Lowe's podcast. Like so much of the early success that he had in his career, I think is coloring how we view his development in maybe an unfair way. So I was, I thought like some of the plays he made last night that you reference Packard, like getting into the paint, kicking a Romeo, um, kicking a Grant Williams in the corners, uh, spraying it out to, even like shooters above the break where you were putting yourself in a position to get a hockey assist. He was making those plays. He was getting off the ball pretty soon against that aggressive um, defense that Toronto plays. And I know that even like Fred Van Fleet is just like his arch nemesis. Um, He hates playing Fred Van Fleet, going back to the bubble. It's like, does not want to dribble around him. But yeah, I think he's kind of settling in for me. Every time I watch him play, it's more about how often are you getting to the free throw line? And that really, Hasn't happened yet, but it hasn't happened for a lot of guys around the league as they kind of adjust to how the game is being officiated this season.
0: Yeah, the 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 element to me that's really interesting is that Tatum is growing as a playmaker and they want him to spray the ball out to the perimeter and they want him to do that in a timely fashion. They want him to make quick decisions and all that. And then, like you said, it's kick out to Romeo Lankford, kick out to Grant Williams, kick out to Dennis Schroeder. Like, it would be so much easier for him if he had knockdown shooters in at least a few positions. Well, well, he does have Romeo
2: Langford. So let's, uh, let's be honest here.
0: (laughs) It's fair. I'm just saying though, teams are selling out to stop Tatum drives. Like just when you see the defense on Grant Williams, for example, and he's shot okay for the season. No, he hasn't. He's forgotten how to shoot (laughs) trending, trending very much in the wrong direction. Um, (laughs) Like teams just don't care about guarding a lot of the Celtics players. And even Romeo Langford, he's shooting close to 50%. Exactly 50%. Exactly 50%. And nobody cares to guard him because he hasn't proven it and hasn't done it in a large enough sample size. So that that's one element to me that's going to be really interesting. Like how do the Celtics alleviate some of that pressure on Tatum and give him easier looks? and and maybe start knocking down shots around him. I think they're shooting like 33% from 3 as a team. And obviously part of that is just he's been shit from the three-point arc, but a lot of that too is the guys around him just aren't threatening.
2: And what I got to give Josh Richardson credit, I've been slandering him for the entire season, but he's not, had two uh, unbelievable
0: blocks <laughs> the last couple of games.
2: Yeah, after his uh, the Celtics had a run there uh, where they had like a bunch of amazing defensive plays that came immediately after their own terrible turnovers. Um, and that's something I uh, – that's called a jam Packard special in pick-up basketball when you make an awful play and then you have to hustle back because uh, you feel badly about yourself. But Richardson's been okay on the uh, offensive end, uh, knocking down some threes. But, at what, like, I just – I still don't get why NeSmith doesn't play in turn – and this is a debate we've been having. Are you in the
0: Nismith fan club, Pina?
2: Yeah, how how big are you on Aaron Nismith? And do we need to get his old AAU coach from South Carolina in here,
3: who's been a guest on the pod multiple times to defend his honor? (laughs) Um, I'm not, I don't lose sleep over Aaron Nismith's playing time personally. I I see a lot of it on Celtics Twitter and um, I I appreciate the enthusiasm. Like, I look, like in these situations, Ime Udoka has all the information. And he knows way more about basketball than I ever will. And if he doesn't think that Aaron Niesmith is um, deserving of minutes right now for whatever reason, then I I trust that. And I trust that Josh Richardson, like there might be um, higher value this season in having someone like Josh Richardson, who's probably a better player today than Aaron Niesmith is really functioning and finding his role in the rotation on the team. So I'm not. I don't really get too bogged down in um, Aaron. I I mean, you know, you should have just drafted Sadiq Bay. Then you wouldn't be in this mess. That's my personal view about it, but you know, it is what it is. I was captain of the Bayhive
0: for uh, his, his, the duration of his college career and almost covered him. Almost.
3: Sort of.
2: (laughs) I mean, I think the the question is, is like, how do you, you talk about not surrounding Jason Tatum with enough shooting. And it's like, you're looking for solutions in terms of who do you put out there? Because the Celtics have been very good with Robert there Williams. There are no solutions. <laughs> that's that's the issue with the roster construction is they, they've been pretty good with uh Horford and William Robert Williams on the court. And so it's like the double big is somewhat working, but that doesn't really provide you with a lot of shooting. Horford is not shooting great from three like the starting lineup's been pretty solid, but if you just think of like, okay, now we're going to go one big, who are the other wings we kind of want to put there or just have in the corner in terms of play, you have Josh Richardson who feels like your, uh, your defensive option. There's no real clear go-to guy uh, to kind of be that three point share. I get, I think it's Romeo Langford at this point because um, Dennis Schroeder is a wild card. Uh, he. I guess I think he's shooting 34% from three, but he does some crazy things. So he gets to the hoop. He can be, I think that nice playmaker off the bench, but I don't uh, think he's like the necessary solution for the crunch time lineup. Although he's been that guy that Ime has gone to this year. I would imagine that the ideal kind of closing lineup is smart Jalen, Jason Tatum, a big of your choice, but I don't know who that kind of fifth guy is. I think it could, it's potentially Neesmith, but I think Ro, like Romeo could be there as well. You want someone who can kind of play both sides of the basketball. And right now it just seems to me Richardson's only a kind of a defensive option.
3: Yeah. I mean, I hear all that and it's look like in today's league, if you don't have respectable outside shooting, it's going to make life harder for yourself. But at the same time, like you also can't just run half court offense with, like Langford in the corner and Grant Williams in the other corner and you're running a high pick and roll with Tatum and the defense knows what's happening. I think that was like Marcus Smart's functioning criticism after that game where look like the other team knows what we're trying to run. You throw the ball to you run that like wing action uh, or horns action, excuse me, and you get the ball to Tatum on the elbow and he just kind of surveys the floor and then a double comes or whatever. And he has got to kick it. It's like, you would like to see just more body movement. Um, I like that that back screen that uh, uh, or the pin-in that Mark, Marcus Smart set on Romeo's first three, I want to say, last night. That was like a nice little play. Just like move around and see some more activity, particularly when Tatum starts his drives or, or Jalen starts his drives, and then those guys have to keep their heads up. And if you just continue to drive, kick, drive, kick, and churn through the offense, I think everything will be fine. But... Um, This offense isn't built to be stationary because, like, you're right. These guys are not knockdown shooters, and nobody's going to respect them if they just stand still like statues. Like statues. Like statues. You like that one? I think I I was the first person to ever use that simile, so. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Garnett would not appreciate that. That No, he needs something much much more
2: active where he can uh, pantomime something.
0: Stand still like my heart when I was thinking about getting traded from Minnesota. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, Jalen Brown is out for the next what eight days or so with a hamstring. He seems to be very positive about everything, but you mentioned kind of the offense. The offense did not look great last night, uh in general, but it didn't look it looked even worse with Tatum on the bench. Uh Jay, what do like the Celtics need to do to kind of like survive the the next four or five games without without Jalen Brown, is it something to worry about also because he's kind of had hamstring issues.
0: I think a number of times uh, throughout his career, I think you just got to play defense, like, cause there, Hold, there are holding
2: teams to 85. is like a pretty good solution to that.
0: When Tatum is not in the game and Jalen's out, like there just are not a lot of, of offensive-minded options for the Celtics to go to. When when Tatum hit the bench, you saw the Raptors, like they threw on a full-court press. It was like they threw it back to the 7th, 8th grade CYO days and were just chasing after him full-court press style because they just didn't have any ball handlers really outside of Schroeder. I think Smart was on the bench at that point too. And so it's just going to be really difficult to manufacture points while Jalen is out during those moments at least when Tatum is on the bench. Uh, So I think it's defense. Honestly, like, you look at this team, they obviously tried to maximize their defense and toughness and versatility during the offseason. That's why they prioritized Richardson. That's why they extended him. That's why they loved the shooter fit when he became available. Like, they wanted to get guys who were tough and ferocious. And so now you're stuck with a lineup that doesn't have a lot of shooting but can defend and – is tough and so they gotta really squeeze teams squeeze opponents offenses dry um while while Jalen is out because they ain't gonna score a lot of points unless they get hot from three, unless Grant starts fucking pouring them <laughs> in there.
2: <laughs> or unless they play kneesmith. Um Michael Pina, this that's gonna be a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna channel my inner bad beat reporter. Uh talk about Robert Williams. <laughs>
3: that was that was generally um, a bad beat reporter. I never asked questions in that form, uh, but now I really never will because now I know <laughs> how it feels to be on the receiving end of one. Uh I mean Rob Williams is a delight. He's awesome. I mean, on the offensive, you just see him when he's like really dialed in and really I mean, I know that the Raptors we don't want to go off one game too much because the Raptors were super small and Kem Birch didn't play. Um, and he just feasted on the offensive glass in, in his activity. It was just like, it really set the tone in the first quarter, but like, I mean, this guy is, I mean, I I go back to like that Knicks game was at the season opener. Um, they just throw him on Julius Randall. No one can touch Julius Randall in that game. You just throw Rob Williams on him. And Julius Randall is just like, he goes cold for the whole stretch and, he just does things he has physical gifts that there's like a very few, very few players in the league in the world who can um, be as athletic as he is be as uh, you know, this guy jumps out of the gym, he can switch, he can switch one through five if he wants to. I don't think that's in the best interest of the team, Um, but you know, he could lead the league in blocks. He could be one of the league's best rim protectors. He could be one of the league's best rebounders. Um, All the physical tools are there offensively I mean I don't know what the best way to use him is definitively right now but I would love even more of him just being a traditional dive man to the rim and like diving hard every time that would be wonderful uh and you know when he does leave his feet land on both feet that that would also be terrific if he can learn to do that consistently But like the passing, uh, eventually, hopefully, he'll develop um, a reliable twelve footer or something like that. Uh, I just love watching him play. Every time he has the ball in his hands or every time he's near it, anything can happen. Uh, He's a joy. I love it. What's he lead the league in field goal percentage right now? Yes, oh yeah, seventy-two
0: point three percent. Do you think they the Celtics need to change the way they use him? I know you you mentioned diving more. Um, but like his assists are down his scoring opportunities when you look at per 100 possessions are are down pretty substantially i think it's like three field goal attempts per 100 possessions just about uh it feels like a lot of those like the the, the raptors game he had a great game most of it was just he went and got other people's misses and then put back stuff himself doesn't seem like they're running as many I mean like isn't that they're not running
3: as many pick and rolls for him or, or running as much offense through him but like you look at around the league at some of the the better bigs who just like really bring value to their teams right now in really tight roles and it's like he could be a better Clint Capella he could be at some point maybe um he's not as big as DeAndre Ayton, but you watch what DeAndre Ayton does when DeAndre Ayton's role is really confined and he's super effective. So like, I don't need, like you don't need Rob Williams to have this high usage. Um, you don't need him to uh, uh, like be a control tower from the elbows on every possession, like Al Horford's been used for years. He can do that stuff. But like right now, I think simplifying things for him on offense and just maximizing his ability, his athletic ability and not giving him too much to handle would be like terrific stuff. And just him developing like top notch pick and roll chemistry with someone like Schroeder when someone like Tatum is on the bench and you can just run stuff off of that really like basic action and get good shots. Um, I think that would be really helpful, especially like. Like when he's in the short roll in those situations where you are trapping a Tatum or you are blitzing um, a Jalen Brown on those high screens or those side pick and rolls like he can make decisions. So you don't need to uh, to force it just like kind of let him flow through the game. I think that that's the the best way to utilize him, if any of that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it feels like they haven't been. Uh, as aggressive in terms of just trying to get him the basketball there. Like last season, it felt like they were wildly ambitious in some of the lobs they were throwing to him. Um, But I just do think it'll be so much more dynamic. If teams are just worrying a little bit, stepping into the paint a little bit on pick and rolls, just to try to deal with um, the the kind of diving Robert Williams, maybe Grant Williams will have that extra 0.5 second and really knock down that three from the corner then. Um, But it does feel like that they like the more he's involved in the offensive end, Uh, kind of the better the Celtics offense is. Um, It feels like we've covered a lot of the Celtics topics, but I think we just need to talk about Marcus Smart's foul at the end of that Mavericks game (laughs) and what the hell that was and what Ime's response was. I still don't really uh, understand what happened, um, but I won. Uh, It was an awful foul. Uh, It makes absolutely no sense. I'm pretty sure Marcus Smart is to blame for it. But two, the amount of – the people who were outraged and furious with Marcus Smart after the game um, also amused me because there was a number of things that led to that Celtics loss. Marcus Smart just played a, uh, a large role in it, but people were just furious uh, uh, with Marcus Smart. Admittedly, it was very, very dumb, and <laughs> I still don't understand why it happened. Jay, maybe you can help, help us out there. Um, but I would were- guess
0: just a brain fart because the – You had a foul to give, but also there was a shot clock differential. and eh, You kind of want
3: the last shot in that situation,
0: but it's too bad. Would they have six
3: six seconds?
0: Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, they would have had six seconds. They would have been able to respond after – or at least have a chance to respond after Luca ripped their hearts out um, because (laughs) there was no way he was ever missing that shot. Uh, But I think it it also – it was too bad for Marcus Smart because he was so good defensively in that game. He was hounding Luka Doncic. He was – like the the play he made to pick Jalen Brunson's pocket when you know he like veered out over and did that. He was sending doubles at the perfect time. It was a masterpiece until that one brain fart from Marcus Smart. I think his defensive um, – his defense has been – really really good this year after probably a down year by his standards last
3: year so what did you do, refresh my memory what did you may say about that somebody like, asked him about the like he said it was his fault like he took the bullet for it or what was yeah, it? it
0: was it was classic like i'm not taking the blame for this but also it's my fault
3: um i'm the so coach we,
0: he said, that, he said that some players asked him whether they should foul, and he told the players who asked, no, don't foul. But he didn't address the group as a team not to foul, probably just thinking that nobody in their right mind would foul in that situation. Or he did, and
2: Marcus just didn't listen. And then he had to say that, I said it out loud. I don't know if all the players in the huddle were listening. Um, yeah. Yeah. It got so ridiculous because people immediately, it was very stupid. But then people were like, Marcus Smart, terrible end of the game there. Like, how dare he try to draw that foul on Chris Tapp's Porzingis and then uh, shoot the ball? Like, people were so furious with the brain fart that they said that, like, him drawing contact, which was very obviously a foul. Last two-minute report came out. They said it was a foul. They're like, your friend B-Rob, Michael Pino, is like, he can't go up with that shot. I was like, he he got body checked by Chris Tapps oh, Porzingis. They like, get a shot
0: at the winning plays podcast.
2: <laughs> that's normally Jay's role in this, but was, I thought it was just absurd that's- to be like, you can't, you can't go up with it after you get body like just checked in the um by Chris Tapps. I can't.
3: I, I me and B Rob, that's where we we've been deferring on Marcus Smart for Marcus Smart's entire career. I'm just like I've learned to take the the bad with the good. That's just what. That's just who Marcus Smart is. That's who he's always going to be as a player. It's in his DNA. I really don't criticize the shot selection too much. Um, Some of it's frustrating for sure, but he makes so many brilliant plays um, in so many different ways that I don't really, doesn't really phase me. I think everything sort of just evens itself out and nobody's perfect. But that's that's a very B Rob uh, reaction (laughs) to that shot by Marcus Smart.
0: And it's weird because normally the mistakes come offensively, like the. It's a shot selection thing. It's it's sure. something like that versus defensive brain fire. You never see that from smart. Are you worried with his uh offensive production so far? Like thirty two point six percent from the field? Does that so
3: concern you know? You? No, I mean like it's not great for sure. Um I I again, I think like so many players are struggling around the league that i can't get too worked about any especially someone who you know has a past of i mean his whole career is a roller coaster ride he's never what been in the most like efficient
2: shooter like he's like if you look at his career high field goal percentage i think' 42 percent like efficiency is not really the name of the game for marcus smart it does feel like where especially when tatum's on the bench he's uh, Schroeder's provided some of this, but he's like really the only one who can go get into the paint, whether it's posting up or driving and like get the team a bucket when you just need some like some sort of one on one. I'm not like I don't think there's been a drastic difference in Marcus Smart's offensive game. I guess his percentages are down um, from, I guess, previous years, but it seems like he's basically – doing the exact same thing Marcus Smart's
0: always done. I think the biggest difference has probably been that he's just not shooting twos anymore. Like he's taking three twos a game. Almost two thirds of his shots are from the three point arc. So it seems like he's really trying to limit what he does inside the arc. And maybe not, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but trying to find different opportunities when he does get inside the arc to create for others and, So I think that's been probably the biggest change offensively. And then, like, if you're shooting two-thirds of your shots from three and you're shooting 28% from three, like, your field goal percentage isn't going to be great. So I think once his three-point percentage normalizes at whatever percent it does, um, he'll end up probably right around the same efficiency he's typically been. And he'll probably lead the Celtics in assists. And he'll be... Great defensively and it'll all be okay except for the times when he does dumb shit
2: i have two important questions to uh end the show for both of you does nick nurse have more kind of petulant child energy or uh divorced stepdad disappointed energy which one would you guys choose
3: do do i have (laughs) to pick one of these
2: i love putting uh the professional journalists uh on the line for have to like go with my childish antics. I can just go on a rant about Nick nurse. The guy's the biggest complainer I've ever seen in the NBA. It is absolutely ridiculous. Um, It's, it's just uh, frustrating because I felt like it worked a little bit, but I just get upset every single time I watch a Raptors game that he's just constantly upset and constantly berating the officials. And I won't stand for it. I don't think it's uh it's very polite and I, uh, it's not very Canadian of him. Uh, it, it doesn't reflect. To, um, to be
3: fair, I don't think he's Canadian. So isn't he
0: from Iowa or some
3: shit?
2: I'm. But he's. I don't know. I don't know even know where he's from. But he uh, has strong.
0: He's from Iowa.
2: Strong disappointed stepdad energy, um, and I, I'll leave it at that. You guys don't have to speak on the issue. Jay, famously, you've been in. I would say the Morris camp. Uh, you've written stories about the Morris twins. You're a mook guy. Would you back them in a fight against the Jokic brothers?
0: That would be the most epic brawl <laughs> ever. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't give many people a chance against the Morris brothers because those dudes are they deserve their reputation as tough guys. The Jokic brothers are big enough and crazy enough and athletic enough to give them a chance. Like I, I need it. I need pay per view. The the Morris brothers and Udonis Haslam versus <laughs> the three Jokic brothers. Make it a tag team match. Um, the the one thing I I really didn't like though, and I disagreed with, was the Morris brothers. You cannot complain about someone shoving you in the back if you shove them and then immediately turn around
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then turn your back.
3: Like you, you well, can't I'll commit after committing a, a borderline cheap shot yourself. Yeah, not yeah, borderline, yeah. like
2: very
0: much a cheap shot. <laughs> you, you cannot complain about the shove in the back if, if you're just like gonna start something and then turn around and walk away. I, I just like, what was he supposed to do? politely tap him on the shoulder, wait till he turns <laughs> around and then shove him? I just I didn't understand that part of the beef.
2: You also, if you're the Heat, you can't pretend you're tough uh, and then have your GM hold you back when you're waiting outside the Nuggets' locker room. Like that's just not a good
0: look for Heat culture. I need Brad Stevens (laughs) to to stop like Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson from from going after Bam
3: Adebayo in a game (laughs) later this year. What I will say is I really enjoyed, I don't know if you guys read the press release in detail, but one of the reasons that Jimmy Butler was fined was his refusal to participate and cooperate with NBA securities post-infraction questions and their investigation. So it's just like, it's like Jimmy Butler just like would not snitch is basically what I got from that press release, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed, I'm sure.
2: I didn't realize um, yeah. the NBA conducted an investigation after every kind of... Is that after every flagrant foul? Like, what's what's the protocol? What triggers an investigation by NBA security?
3: I'm going to go with this would trigger an investigation. <laughs> and you got, like, these two... I mean, the Yoke. I don't even know what to say about the Jokic brothers. They're just... They're NBA legends at this point. And the fact that they created a twitter account and the only account <laughs> that they follow twitter is account. jamal murray they don't even follow Jokic. Then, I don't, they, maybe Jokic isn't on twitter i don't know
0: they made but sure everyone was... knew that it was actually their twitter account like just t- texting with nuggets reporters to let them know like the you know that guy threatening the morris brothers on twitter i don't yeah, think yeah, the brothers
2: reached was. out and be like that's me i'm sure nuggets reporters texted them and asked them
0: nonetheless <laughs> i love just proudly taking it on the chest like yeah i'm the one out there on Twitter threatening the Morris brothers.
3: I went to I, I, I typed in their names on in like a Twitter search when all that was starting to go down. And it, the f- thing that popped up like the auto populate was Jokic brothers knives. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm out of this. I don't want to know anymore. This is this is the end of of me and this story.
0: Whatever you can imagine at that point is probably better than the reality <laughs> of it. <laughs> Like just, just leave it at that. You you can't can't get more details about that. Just gotta leave it as like the Yokis yes. brothers did some wild shit with knives at some point in their past.
2: Yeah, you don't mess with uh people from Warren who grew up in torn countries. Like you just it's a, a general rule you should have. Um and so I think that's wise words. Michael Pina from Sports Illustrated, host of the open floor podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Has an excellent profile of Kevin Garnett for GQ. Uh, If you guys enjoy the show, please subscribe, uh, rate it, do all those things podcast hosts tell you to do. Um, And I guess my final question is: um, Is Mike Gorman pronouncing it Sayakum? Is is that potable?
1: Why take a? a Everything is potable. That's bad form.